Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is August the 18th, 2020. This is episode 2714 of the Survival Podcast. And my conversation with uh, Nicole yesterday and a lot of things that I'm hearing in the media and news um, led to today's show, which is called A Coming Potential Insurrection. You notice I didn't call it a revolution. And insurrections have a potential to be really beneficial because they're decentralized. And they have a potential to be really, really detrimental because they're decentralized. So I wanted to lead off my intro segment today with just kind of explaining to you why I chose the word insurrection and how I personally feel an insurrection is different than a revolution. A revolution generally has two sides that are clearly defined. So you have this group of people who have decided they don't want the government anymore, and then you have the government itself trying to maintain the status quo. All types of horrors can occur in revolutions. Sometimes they are short and peaceful. Sometimes they are brief and bloody. Sometimes they are long and peaceful, and sometimes they are long and bloody. It is not that they are without potential for tremendous harm and bloodshed. It is just that at least you are in a position where people tend to understand us and them, clearly. Insurrections. Insurrection is a term that we use for anybody that's rising up against the government and is an insurrectionist. And the reason I use that term here is that I feel that when you have something that truly is insurrection within a, a defined nation state, that it generally is a multi-sided conflict. So instead of having a clear us and them, you've got them and them and them and them and them and them. And there's really no limit to how many factions of them there can be. And it often is the case that an insurrection can have much greater harm and much greater potential for harm than a revolution. If we look at the American Revolution as an example of a, of a clearly defined revolution, it's not that there weren't pockets of people taking advantage of the situation and, and doing great harm to others. It's that there was an understanding that this is a war between a group that claims to be a nation and a nation that claims to own that territory and says you're not a nation. And there were certain rules of war, certain things that you did and you didn't do. And that doesn't mean they were never broken, but at least there was a pretense of that. When you look at insurrection, what you're talking about are pockets of guerrilla warfare all over the place. And again, those can be relatively peaceful, or those can be incredibly bloody and violent and involve things like burning structures to the ground. Some, some of that you've already seen. What has been lacking up till now is a clear direction of the people doing the damage. They are destroying because they are angry and they want to destroy and they want something, but they're really not exactly clear on exactly what that is, except that they know the police are bad. And you know me, I'm not a police apologist. I'm pretty hard on police from time to time. But the stance that they're coming from, all police are bad all the time, always. And specifically, they're bad to black people. And then the majority of the people actually causing the problems are actually young, rich, spoiled white kids. But that's, that's what I see. And I know there's plenty of, of all races involved, but that's the, the biggest segment of the problem I see are young, punk, white kids with no sense of direction. Um, you start to get a sense of direction in these groups. 
And they start to become really, really dangerous. I just did a video over the weekend, and it's something I need to talk about on the air today and probably more frequently in, in these, these mobs. There is organization even in these mobs that look like they're not disorganized. Like, so what you'll see is you'll see a video of some guy like smashing a window out of a car or a group of people smashing windows out of a car or busting up a car and um, you know maybe trying successfully or not successfully to pull the occupant of the vehicle out and beat them. And comments on social media inevitably be, I would drive right over him. But if you actually, you know, look at the totality of the situation, no, you wouldn't. And the reason you wouldn't isn't because you're not willing to. The reason you wouldn't is because these pieces of shit that are doing this know what they're doing full well. And they go and they block a whole street. And they block the front couple, three rows of vehicles. And they do not attack those people. They do not attack those people. They hold up their signs, they yell, they chant, they whatever, and they wait until they get, you know, if let's say it's a three-lane road, they wait until they get three people in common who, in the first position who will stop, who won't roll through, either fast or slow, but they'll stop. And if you do that for any period of time at all, you'll get people that stop. Now, once those people stop, the people behind them stop, and the people behind them stop. If you're in the fourth, fifth, or sixth row, odds are you can't get through. So even though you got somebody beating on your car, that you're willing to totally run the hell over because of what's going on and not being the next victim, where are you going to go? And don't think they don't pick, like, you know, the car in the middle that really has no maneuvering capability. And, and that's just the beginning of what these people are doing. And it leads to a dark place. And I'm going to try to come at today's show with... Worst case scenario, best case scenario, and what you can do about it. And some of it's going to sound pretty dark, and some of it's going to sound not so dark. And I, I really, I caution you. I caution you to, number one, not assume that when I say these are things that could eventually happen and they're really bad, to just like go hysterical and think that's going to happen tomorrow. Equally, when I give you mitigations... And say, well, you know, th it probably won't get this bad because, number one, don't think that doesn't mean it can't happen. But number two, don't think that the lesser insurrection, the lesser potential breakdown of the country is something that will be so mild as to be like not bother you. Don't think that anybody's going to get out of this if we end up where it looks like we're headed unscathed. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Before we do... Let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ready-Made Resources. Look, um, I'm going to end today's show saying now's the time to amp up your preps. All of them, no matter what happens, you're going to need them. Well, one place you can do that is at Ready-Made Resources. The company that says what it does and does what it says. All the resources for your prepping needs, ready-made, ready to go, right there in the name, readymaderesources.com, long-term sponsor of the show. Please check them out today. Next up today, knifekits.com. You know, I'm not going to talk a lot about hard skills today, other than to kind of mention here and there that you're going to need to be able to know how to do things. And that is the case. And the, and the worst thing is getting this country, the more important it's going to be to be a person that can be of value, can be of use. And learning to do hard skills is going to be incredibly important. And I'm not saying because you're in, you can make knives, right, that you're going to be like the knife maker for your little village in, in the apocalypse. That's, that's not where I'm going here. But you do learn a lot of skills, You learn a lot of skills that are transferable to other hard things that can be done when you get into knife making. And it's fun, and it's a way to create heirlooms you can pass down to your family. 
uh, or maybe even a side business or a side hustle, or maybe even eventually a full-time business. Check them out today, knifekits.com. When we, uh, when we reviewed them to accept them as a sponsor, they passed with flying colors. We went to all the blade forums and places like that, and they were just so well thought of. Been with us now like 11 years. So check them out today. They have been loyal to us. Be loyal to them, knifekits.com. So let's start off with a uh, quote of the day today. This is by David Crosby, right? He, The musician, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash guy. He he once famously said, it can't happen here is number one on the list of famous last words. And he was speaking of a different time and a different place and a different can't happen here, but he's not wrong for right now today. There is a fairly big belief in the world that, well, that doesn't happen in America. And I think that's incredibly flawed. And we'll be digging into today. And I'm going to start out with the case for why it won't happen. Or at least if why if it happens, it won't be that bad. And all the reasons that the United States does have more stability than most nations have typically had in, in, in situations like this. But why we're heading to a place where maybe that doesn't remain. But just as we're going through today's show, stay in touch with the concept of when somebody says that can't happen here, it often is famous last words, often about the point where somebody starts saying something can't happen. It's the point where you kind of know it's going to happen. Remember the five stages of grief. The first one is what? Denial. If I wanted to sum up denial in a phrase, it can't happen here. It's no different than when somebody gets a cancer diagnosis. It can't have happened to me. Now, if it happens to anybody else, you're like, man, that's that's terrible. I hope that there's something they can do, right? And no one ever is like, oh, that can't happen to Bill. But when it's you, oh, I'm not going to get cancer. It's a defense mechanism. And there's a place for it so we don't run around so stressed out we give ourselves cancer, among other things, right? But when you start as a society saying something can't happen here, oh, be careful. Do you not think that when people started to warn that the Nazis were going to try to exterminate the entire Jewish race. People in Germany said, oh, that, 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 that won't happen here. You know, Argentina, when Argentina melted down economically, Argentina was like, you know, Buenos Aires was like the Paris of South America. Don't you think there were people that said, oh, that's not, that maybe an out in the sticks or something, that's not going to happen here. Almost every place that a nation has fallen to ruin or insurrection or revolution or war, or outright complete breakdown. Somebody said those words before it happened. Now, on a better note, before we dig into the subject, let me give you two little updates. Number one, some announcements about TSP 2020, the workshop. Um, I put out a post yesterday. It'll go out in the Daily Mail today. The reason it wasn't in the Daily Mail yesterday is I wrote it after the mail went out. But um, it was a first look at TSP 2020, what we know so far. And the dates are, again, November 11 to 15. The actual days of the classes are the 12th and the through the 14th. The 11th is like for people to show up and set up, and we do a reception night and all that. And then we let people sleep over on Saturday the 14th, and we basically kick everybody off the property uh, by about 10.30 on the 15th. Go home. No, don't go home. But you can't stay here. Dorothy and I need to take a nap and have the place cleaned up. Uh, the theme this year is going to be have fun and improve your homestead and prepper skills. Uh, not all the sessions are set, but here's some stuff we're going to be doing. Property system tour. First day, 
first thing, so that it doesn't get scrubbed due to rain or some other problem, we're going to do uh, tours of the gardens and the food forest. And because we usually have about 40 to 50 students, that level of a group is difficult for me to speak to and to answer questions for. So what we're going to do is Nick Ferguson has been involved with every step of the way, the establishment of this food forest. And he's a great permaculture. So he's going to do the food forest tour, and I'm going to do the garden and aquatics tour. We're going to break the class into two groups. Nick will take one, I'll take the other, and then we'll take a 15-minute break in between the two sessions, and we'll swap groups. And then I'll, we'll both do the same presentation twice. That way everybody gets the same presentation from the same presenter. And that way everybody gets time. And then, you know, at some point during the day, Nick and I will answer questions that have come up because of it if they weren't answered there. That will make that easier. Uh, we're also going to be doing stuff on hydroponics. I'm retooling the indoor farm. Uh, John Pugliano, he's going to talk about the stock market. Well, maybe in a breakout section or something, but he's going to be doing ham radio, getting started with that, and light RV boondocking. He's got this cool little RV, and he's going to talk about how to use it and the essentials. It's going to be awesome. Uh, solar pumping systems. Uh, Farmer Hogeye will be showing you how to set up a full pumping system using 100% solar power and actually have the stuff on site where you can see it, touch it, look at it. Sean Mills will be here. We don't know exactly what he's going to be doing yet, uh, but it'll be something with alternative energy. Dr. Ken Berry is a maybe. He said yes, but I'll let you know if scheduling conflicts come up. So I'm going to have a conversation that explains, like, no. <laughs> at some point, somewhere, we have to say definitely, 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 And if we can do that, then we'll put him down as a definite. And he'll, of course, be teaching about keto if we do that. 3D printing. It looks like we're going to have somebody with a full 3D printer set up on site and doing a presentation on what 3D printers can do for you. We have uh, Karaoke Tim. Uh, some of you all remember him. He's doing dome house construction. They've built an actual dome house. He's going to do a, a session on that. And, of course, he'll be helping out with karaoke uh, with DJ Hatch and uh, Nicole Sauce. Uh, we'll have a hands-on build. It looks like right now what we're going to do is maybe add some wicking beds to one of my aquaponic systems and rebuild the ebb and flow beds into the new style that I'm doing, which will be very uh, informational and very useful to you guys. Like Once you see how to do the new style of ebb and flow, you will never build a bell siphon again, and you will never have a siphon get stuck ever again. I mean, you'll never, you'll just won't even think about doing it any other way uh, than the way we're going to do that. Making cheese with the sauce. Nicole will be doing some things, but one of the things she'll be doing is on how to make cheese. Um, we're going to have like a work in session hour every day, really an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not going to tell you to do with your work in time. So when the last official session of the day ends, it'll be an hour and 15 minutes before dinner. We'll have a whiteboard set up where people can say what they're doing and where you will be, whether you're going to be meeting out under the trees or in the garage or what have you. And we'll have work-in sessions. I think Patrick Rohrman will be doing uh, multiple work-in sessions on knife sharpening for smaller groups to be able to actually see what's going on and how to do it. Food, we're stepping up the game. One night we're going to do our typical chicken and fixings, but what it looks like we're going to be doing now is we're going to have like an off-the-hook taco truck catering thing with like this open roasted meat spit and all this cool shit uh, one night. And another night we're going to be doing like a whole hog roast, which should be just awesome. Cost for the last seven years, eight years, I guess I've done $500 total, $150 deposit balance due on. We're waiting to get pricing back from these caterers, and so I might raise it to $550. I don't know yet. But I don't think anybody's going to make that decision over 50 bucks. If you've been here before, you know that people have said, like, I couldn't go spend $1,000 on a half week and have what I have here. There's no place that I could do that. So 
The only reason I'll do that is if I need to do that to cover the additional cost. So we're working that out now. Um, and I, I try to keep things the same cost, but I just think to be able to do this. And one of the reasons I'm doing it is the last two years, I did like these cooking sessions out on the porch so that you guys could get extra stuff instead of just our standard meals and social hours and stuff like that. But people complained, especially last year. The first year we did it, I don't think anybody did because we really were good about telling you it was going to happen. But last year, people were like, why aren't we doing like more modern survival and permaculture stuff? So what I want to do is elevate that experience without taking away any instruction time. So that's why I'm doing that. Spots to fill, I still have a couple open, maybe. Um, you can submit your ideas. If you don't hear back right away, don't worry. Um, but if you've sent me something over a week ago and you didn't hear back, either didn't get it or I chose other people. I'm not going to take everybody that submits. Uh, but what I am doing is if I take somebody as a student, I'll take 100 bucks off your tuition. That's, that's what I'm doing there. Date of ticket sales. Tickets will go on sale September the 12th, 2020. Uh, that gives you plenty of time after you get your tickets to make flight arrangements. The sale will open again 10 a.m. Central Time on the 12th. Mark your calendars. There will be more reminders before it happens. I'm not going to make you log into the MSB to get a link this time. I'm just going to publicly publish the link at 10 a.m. on the website so that anybody that wants to sign up can sign up. I figure most people that are willing to spend the money and come spend the time are probably MSB anyway. Uh, additionally, it sells out fast, but I've never had it sell out in much less than an hour. Sometimes I have tickets for two or three days. Sometimes I have tickets for 47 minutes. It, it depends. I think this is going to be a really, really well-attended one, so you don't want to snooze and lose. But if you, if you show up uh, at 10 a.m. Central Time on the 12th and you want tickets, I can't see how you won't get them. Because we've never had like five minutes sellout. So there you go. Location will be our farm. It's between Azel and Lake Worth, Texas. If you've never been here, we'll give you exact uh, location. But the closest airport to fly into is DFW. And if you look up Lake Worth, it's in that general area. Accommodations, we allow tent camping on site. No RVs, no trailers, no exceptions, except for Jean Pogliano. Uh, and you'll see why when you see his RV. Uh, we also have a group rate for students uh, of like 80 bucks a night at a nice hotel 10 minutes away. So that's that's all we have on this for now. Uh, next up, just want to like real quick know, I just this morning um, added to my alternative social media. I'm now on library, which is lbry.tv, library. Um, it's a decentralized competitor to YouTube. I'm not going to say a lot of it other than I have a... a an article out about it today. I'd appreciate it if you'd follow me there. If you go to my article, you can click a link and find my channel and get my invite and all that good stuff. Uh, there's a lot to library. I'll talk about it later uh, as far as the crypto thing that goes along with it and all, which you don't really have to participate unless you want to. Um, but my, my announcement for today, and this does tie into our topic of the day, there's a purge going on. And the purge will only get worse. And right now the purgers, people like Stefan Molyneux, who is obviously in a controversial subject matter. I don't think he deserved to be purged, but some people don't like him. And you might think, well, my YouTube channel is on model airplanes or fish tanks or whatever, so this isn't going to hit me. There are, they're starting to deplatform people because they're finding comments by them in other social media platforms that have nothing to do with their channel. That's beginning to happen. And, you know, Stefan... I listened to his video he did after he got banned from YouTube and they deleted his channel. And I listened to him lament losing thousands of videos. And I realized it didn't have to happen. 
The big thing I wanted you to know about Library, which again is lbry.tv today, is if you have a YouTube channel, they have an import function. And I won't explain it on the air, but I explain exactly how to do it because you have to do two different things to do it. You set up an account for a library, but you set up an account for a partner program and don't create a channel in your account first. Create the channel in your partner thing, and then it imports, and then you claim it in your, your account versus your partner account. Sounds confusing. It's not. If you can upload videos, you can do this. I did it, and it took a day and a half. I got an email. I claimed it. I have over a thousand videos on YouTube. They're now all mirrored on library. All of them. I didn't have to do any. It, it took less work than it did to just explain it. And that means that my content is backed up. And if they ever ban me, it still exists. Because people say, well, just re-upload it. Can you imagine sitting down manually re-uploading uploading 1,100 videos? And since I did my first videos that are on my YouTube channel in like 2007, do you think I might not know where some of them might be? You see what I mean? So if you have a YouTube channel, if you've put any effort into it, I recommend you mirror it over on Library because they'll do all the work for you. All right, with that, let's get into this. And, um, you know, like the workshop and the skills we're teaching like fit right in this. I, I think really hard times are coming for our country. Really, really, really hard times. Really, really hard times. I want to start out with why it may not happen. Making a case as devil's advocate against my own subject today. Why the, the concept that, well, not in America could be true. Number one, one way or another, we do have a democratically elected government, and the majority of people, at least for now, either believe in it or are agnostic to it. And, and what, the people that are agnostic to it, it, they don't participate, but they feel like if they ever were pushed to the point where they wanted change, it's where they would go. And it's one of the reasons that democracies are actually great for tyranny. But they really are, because, well, why get guns and go out and fight a battle when you can't even win an election that's free and open? So two people believe that elections aren't free and open, there's a, there's a pretty big case against it. The next is the United States military. This is the most equipped and most powerful in the world. Now, I'm just going to say, so was the British, British military during the American Revolution. But let's think about the differences here. There's a big difference in, in, in the 1770s revolting against the greatest military power in the world who is across thousands of miles of ocean that can only send so much of its military to deal with you and revolting against the strongest military that's ever existed in 2020 on their own home ground. And I know what you think. Oh, they won't, uh, they won't shoot at our own citizens. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Right up until the point where they don't believe in what they're doing. And there's about half of them that absolutely will. Period. It will take an awful lot to ever change that. The belief that your own military will not put down insurrection or revolution in this country is, is asinine. In fact, the military is, one of its purposes is to prevent insurrection and revolution. Every revolution that's ever been fought has been fought by at least part of, if not all of, the nation who was trying to maintain status quo's military. That's, that's how it works. But our military is powerful, and it, it is a dissuader. And most, I, I think the reason you won't have a conventional type of civil war in this country is I don't think the country has a stomach for it. All of these people out smashing shit in streets and setting buildings on fire and rioting and attacking people are attacking the weakest people they can find, where they're being allowed to do it, and if they didn't have the ability to go home to mommy and get a Pop-Tart 
and fill their belly up before they came out to riot the next day, they probably wouldn't be doing it for very long. So if you go into an actual conventional civil war, you get into a position where you got to maintain your supply lines, and these people do not have the ability to maintain their supply lines. There's a lot of systems of redundancy in this country that make revolution unlikely, right up until they fail. So let's move into why it really can happen. Well, number one, what has happened before will happen again. I've said this for 12 years on the air. We do not study history because we it might repeat itself, and we want to prevent it from repeating itself. We study history because it will repeat itself, and we need to recognize it when it happens. And almost every nation that has existed in the history of civilizations has gone through insurrections and revolutions. And those have either resulted in a new order within the defined boundaries of that area, or they have resulted in the complete and total breakdown or partial breakdown of the old order. So some ways that we can look at that would be, or the reestablishment of the old order. The United States went through that with the war between the states, commonly known as the American Civil War. The net result of that, a bloody conventional revolution, right, And people say, well, it wasn't a revolution. No, it wasn't really a civil war, maybe, sort of, kind of, because the South just tried to leave. But it was a revolution. We want to do our own thing, piss off, we're not going to let you. That is classic nationalistic revolution, right? Instead of trying to take the whole thing, they only try to take a piece. It's still a revolution. But that res what was the net result of that? The reestablishment of the status quo. We look at something more recent like the breakdown of the Soviet Union, right? And that was a much more peaceful, it was more of a bankruptcy with a popular revolt involving a lot of the former provinces of the USSR becoming independent sovereign nations. But it was only a partial removal of the old order. Russia stayed, and Russia has reacquired some of its lost provinces since then. And you could make the case that today's Russia is far more powerful from a geopolitical standpoint than the 1980s USSR was. So that's another way that things can go down. And the other would be a complete and total dissolution of the old order. The fall of the Roman Empire, which took a much longer period of time. The fact that something called Italy still exists, there's really no remnant of Rome. The Rome that we're talking about. Or the Grecian Empire. Just because there's a place called Greece left. There's really no remnant of the true Grecian Empire. And, and so we can look at other civilizations that have completely fallen. And maybe not due to revolution, but due to invasion. Like some of the uh, American native societies. But yet, there were societies here in Central and South America that fell apart, collapsed, and disappeared. And we, we just have ruins to look at. And it wasn't the white man, right? It wasn't the Europeans that came in and destroyed their civilizations. They were already gone when we got here. Some believe that maybe they were infected with our diseases, but there were other empires that were still in place when we got here. We don't know what destroyed them, really. It could have been insurrection within their own ranks. I don't know when you're 
throwing people downstairs in their own pool of blood to sacrifice them to the forest gods or what have you. Um, sometimes people decide they don't like that anymore. But we've just we've had this happen from very very early societies all the way up until very modern times. There have been these breakdowns and fermentations uh, of, of populations that just go to the breaking point. And one of the lessons that we tend to not take to heart because we romanticize our own revolution so much is that most of the time in revolution or insurrection the people that start the fight to revolt are not the good guys or they do not remain the good guys even if they kind of started out that way almost every dictatorship of tyranny that ever was installed ever in the history of mankind meaning it didn't just kind of form up that this place formed up under a dictatorship or some sort of you know some sort of evil monarchy or something like that but there was a free society or free ish society in some way that became less free it almost always begins with revolution it begins with discontent and discord and violence and wanting something better, and then people throw in behind it because they they are so angry at the old system, and the new system ends up worse. Look at the Iranian Revolution. You know, when they took U.S. hostages and all that, that revolution was chiefly led by college students who were very angry with the Western world for very good reasons. They were not fighting for a tyrannical religious theocracy. That is not what they wanted. It's what they got. And I can keep going, but time and time again in history, these revolutions, whether they're started out by violent scum or well-meaning people that have been pushed to violence, are always what is used to install a tyrannical dictatorship. And almost inevitably, that's what happens. The American Revolution is in the vast minority of what that looks like. It is not typical that a nation is formed out of revolution and becomes a republic. That is not typical. And it almost didn't happen here. And even what we think of happening here being good was actually an attempt that was largely successful to create a new type of aristocracy. The founders are not the saints we make them out to be. I won't go into that today, but... At least we ended up with relative stability and more freedom probably than any mother, modern nation had ever known until the republic fell. And we do not live in a republic today. I know you believe that we do, but we do not. We certainly don't live in the republic that was founded at the end of our war. And they seem to be you know, quite fleeting republics. And we also understand that we are living in the remnant of that republic. What's left of it? A lot of people want to, you know, they have slogans like restore the republic. But I, I feel that it's very possible that this great experiment in republics is reaching the end of its life cycle. And that's not due to what I want. It's due to reading the writing on the wall. It's due to looking at it and saying maybe this republic got too big. Remember when it was formed, it wasn't as big as it is today. And I don't just mean our total global reach. I mean the actual borders of the nation itself. 
It grew substantially in population and landmass from the time it was founded until now, becoming 50 states plus territories, plus our global empire reach into other nations, which is in almost every nation on the continent one way or another. And so maybe it is just time that this reform, and that could be good or bad depending on where you are. And what's very dangerous right now is a disconnect in the dichotomy. Now, I've talked about the false dichotomy for a long time. And the false dichotomy is them in office driven by lobbyists who all work for the same people. So with the left foot and the right foot, as they trample you, advance the giant in the same direction. That's a false dichotomy. There is a true dichotomy. If you look at at least the marketing of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, there is some stark differences. I've never met when I say false dichotomy that that wasn't the case. And if you look at the media, there is a stark dichotomy. And there is an absolute reality that unless you're just in denial of everything that's real, that the vast majority of the media is all in on the left side of the dichotomy. And they're beginning to really believe their own bullshit. I see more and more the, the, the claims that you know the Trump voters are nothing but a bunch of non-degree-holding white men. Well, you can't win an election, even through the Electoral College, with that in 2016. That's not the case. There are plenty of women. There are plenty of people of color. There are plenty of people with degrees. There are plenty of people that are not trailer park rednecks that voted for Trump. And recently I saw a demonstration in South Florida for pro-Trump demonstration. Now, this isn't about Trump. This is about people. Please understand that. This is not pro or anti-Trump. This is just what is. And it was hundreds, if not thousands, of boats flying Trump flags, flying American flags in South Florida. Some of these were not boats. They were mega yachts and ships, right? Okay, trailer park, poor, white trash, racist men, that what they're describing the entire Trump movement as, do not own those things. They don't own them in the thousands. There might be one that won the lottery and didn't lose all his money, but there is a huge movement behind Trump because Trump's not a Republican. Trump's not a conservative. I know that you want to believe that, some of you, but he's not. Trump is a centrist populist. Trump is a centrist populist. Some of his positions are classically liberal Democrat positions, specifically like the people that would have called themselves JFK Democrats. Trump's basically a modern JFK Democrat. He really is. And I said it, there would be a guy on the Republican side that no one would ever pick, a strong man that would be able to get things done that Democrats want, that no Republican would ever have been thought able to do, and no Democrat would have been able to do. You'd have to have somebody marketed as a Republican in the position of a centrist populist for that to happen. That's what you're looking at right now. And the Trump movement is strong. And the odds are he's going to get reelected. And the odds are he's going to actually pick up seats in the Senate and the House, and maybe even take the House back, maybe. I know that sounds insane right now. But when you have a dichotomy that feels like, okay, this long 
four years of the Orange Man. We tried to get him with Russia Gate. We tried to get him with Ukrainian Gate. We tried to get him with this. We tried to get him with Piss Gate. We tried to get him with that. And but it's all almost over. And it's only these stupid hicks. And it was like it was. It's not going to happen when it happens again. I'm just going to say, if you live in a major city, take a vacation around election night. Please. By the way, the TSP 2020 workshop starts on election day, the 11th. just worked out that way. We didn't plan it that way. Hey, be here. Pro I promise you, we ain't going to have no problems here. None. Zero. None. <laughs> None at all. But I think you will see some major looting and violence on election night. And maybe for weeks after it. Especially when it gets drug out with, oh, we found 27 ballots in Wisconsin in the mail. Which is what they're hoping for. And this concept that, eh, it's all about to go away. And they believe it. And they don't believe that there are millions and millions of Americans that really believe in this Trump movement. is way more dangerous than if both sides believed that it was kind of an equal shot. Once one side is already in their head declared victory, and then they find out, nope. And of course, no matter what the results are, they're going to swear to God it was, it was stolen from them. And if you think the media is trying to win the election for Biden, I think you're missing it. I think the media is playing a very dangerous game with fire they do not understand. I think the media knows Biden loses. I think they're trying to pre-sell that Trump stole the election and delegitimize his next four years in office. When you start adding everything else that's going on to that disconnect in the dichotomy, and when the when one side of the dichotomy starts to believe its own bullshit, it gets really dangerous. We we all saw the explosion right in the Middle East where the ammonium nitrate was stored next to the fireworks. That was a good idea. That's what the media is doing right now. They're storing a whole bunch of gasoline and fireworks and, you know, active electronics next to a huge stockpile of ammonium nitrate. <clears throat> and when you start looking at what's going on out there, you can see where... The people that just want to be left alone are probably getting close to the point where they they get involved. And so what you have right now is a bunch of very violent, mostly young people who are largely directionless but are being directed by people who are not directionless. Don't think there is not that invisible hand underneath. If you've read Illuminatus Trilogy, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And even the groups that look diametrically opposed are being moved by the same hands. They're being used to advance the same agenda. But when you get people who know what they're doing when it comes to violence, who feel the state's not going to protect me and this shit needs to stop, then you get these pockets of direct conflict. And it gets really ugly really fast. And you need to start asking yourself some questions. And one of those questions is would your state or a group of states in your area break off and declare some sort of sovereignty? And, and don't look for me to give you like ideas of where those lines would get drawn, because I, I honestly don't know. 
I know that where I am, if there is a state that can realistically secede, and that's the other thing you have to ask, like, would they or would they want to or would there be a desire, can they realistically do so? Because you might be able to figure out where your boundaries get drawn. Can this state secede? No. Can't do it by itself. Who would it need to go with it and who's likely to partner with it if it does? Texas can secede. Texas can go its own way tomorrow morning with a flip of a switch. Don't think I'm bragging on that because we'll get to that in a second. Just because you secede doesn't mean it got better. It might get worse. It might get a lot worse, even in Texas. The reason Texas can secede is we have our own electrical grid. That's We have an electrical grid. We have agricultural capacity. We have refining capacity. And we have ocean and ports. There, We have... Un- unimaginable wealth. We have size. We have one of, when you just look at the Texas guards, National Guard, Air Guard, Army Guard, etc. As, as a state military, we have one of the largest militaries in the world. We have all that going for us, and we have a population with a bent towards it anyway. Those are all reasons it can, it can happen. Um, doesn't mean it's going to. But I think there is a point where if things get bad enough, certain parts of the country just go, I we no, we're done. And for totally different reasons. Some of the coastal states may do it because they feel exactly the opposite way. They don't want to be drug in the direction of, let's say, conservatism in, in the dichotomy world, right? They want to be very leftist, and they feel that they can. California can secede. California, Oregon, and Washington together can secede into one giant thing. It might actually cause parts of those states to fractionalize and break up themselves. But they have access to the sea. They have unimaginable wealth. They also have cities that are largely going into decay. I'm telling you, the major cities of the West Coast are going to look like Detroit soon. Get out, get out, get out. More on that in a bit. Get out. Does that mean they all will? Maybe not, but some of them will, and I don't know which ones. But Los Angeles and Portland and Seattle are top on my list because they've allowed so much to go wrong in good times. And when you let shit go that wrong in the good times, when the bad times come, it's like being raped in the butt with a cheese grater. Hard. An old-school box cheese grater. That's what's happening to these cities. They did it to themselves... And they thought they could get away with it. But then 2020 happened. 2020 happened and their people that produced the most in revenue, not necessarily output, but in revenue, were all people that were largely tech-centric in those cities. And they can work from a little apartment that they pay five grand a month for to live in San Francisco shithole, right? And all of a sudden, hey, I don't have to live here? I mean, I can go get like a five-bedroom house for half the money in Sheboyganville? And they have internet? And my boss said I can just keep working from home from now on? Bye. Bye. To the point where U-Haul, except, you know, U-Haul and, and Penske and all are like, we're breaking sales records in California and New York and not for people coming there, but for people leaving. And when that starts to happen, don't you think that eventually those states start to try to do things to make it harder for you to leave? 
Don't you think, like, one of the things I've been saying about homeschooling, get on board now. Do it now. If you, especially if your kids aren't going back, if they're doing distance learning, get them out of the state's system now. Now, 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 now. Get your kids out. Get out, get out, get out, get out. The reason? They're eventually going to start making it a lot harder to pull your kids out of school. They're already lying. They're already saying, you have to go out here and fill this thing out, explains your curriculum and all. And they try to make it so complicated that you'll just say, well, then it's easier to use the schools. Most states, you don't have to do any of that shit. Texas, you don't have to do that. They're telling parents they have to. All you have to do in Texas is you write a letter, you can be an email, to your school saying that you're removing your child from the school. Goodbye. That's it. That's all you have to do. There are things you're supposed to teach, but you don't have to disclose how you're teaching it, why you're teaching it, when you're teaching it, on what schedule. You just do it. You don't think when, 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 when the full reality begins to set in, my grandson's having trouble with his schoolwork today at Excellus Academy. Do you know why? Because he keeps getting kicked out of the sessions because they've grown so fast they're having to upgrade their network. Hello? Do you understand the giant, remember Ross Perot, the giant sucking sound? The giant sucking sound coming out of the education system. That giant sucking sound is also now coming out of your coastal cities. That's all your productive people hauling ass. You don't think they're going to start trying to make it harder for you to leave? Start charging you some sort of wealth extraction tax to go out of the state? You don't think they're going to start trying to make it harder for you to keep get your kids out of school? It's going to be very hard to make someone that's already homeschooling put their kids back in. It's almost like when they try to ban a certain class of weapons. They end up grandfathering what's in possession because, gee, that's going to be ugly if we try to do that. We're just going to shut down the new. And hopefully the old will atrophy. That's what they're going to have to do with, they're going to do it. If your kid's home every day right now anyway, why are they in the state system? Do you just want to be controlled? Do you just want to be owned? You're already doing it. So do it without them. Get them out before they put their claws in. If you're in these cities, get out before they put their claws in you. Because they're going to go nuts. And we already know what this looks like. COVID is telling us this. But before I even get into that, I gotta, I gotta break something for a lot of you that have way too much pride. The we are stronger ethos. It is flawed. And what I mean by that is, they're like, I got my guns, I got my local militia buddies, and we ain't taking no shit from Antifa, and we'll shoot their ass. Maybe. That don't help you none at all. In some situations. And let me explain why. And it, no, it's not because they're gonna send Navy SEALs to get you. Two words. Supply chain. Look at what COVID's taught us. Look how much disruption in the food supply and, and the material supply situation there was from a virus that ain't nothing but a really bad cold that kills some people. Less than 1% of people that get it die. And look what it did to this country. Now, a lot of it is self-inflicted. But look what it did. You think you can have Portland the way it is today in every major city in the United States, and it won't be worse than COVID from a supply chain standpoint alone? This idea that, well, we'll just arm up, I don't think that's a bad idea. But you better understand that it has a limited capacity to what it can do for you. And what does that start to look like when Bubba's had enough and lays out 15 Antifa, and they send the marshals in to get Bubba? 
in your backyard. Do you stand with Bubba? Do you stand with the marshals? What does the sheriff do? And the answer is we don't know because we don't know this. Like, it's easy to say right now what you think, but you don't know the situation. Were those Antifa walking down the street and Bubba drove down the road and saw the way they were dressed and killed him? Were they attacking his farm? Were they trying to rape his daughter or steal his cattle? We don't know. All of that shit can happen. And when that starts exploding in little pockets, it's much more complex in many ways. Until it goes full nuclear, it's easier to contain than an outright revolution. But once it goes full nuclear, it's more difficult. Because there's no head to cut off. There's no capital to take. It's why we're still drug into a freaking war in Iraq and Afghanistan after 20 freaking years. And you don't think it can happen here. Then you're no student of history. Then you're no student of history. I don't want it to happen here, but it can. And this is where, if you've ever read Glenn Tate's series, 299 Days, which was spawned right out of this community. Glenn was one of our earlier mo earliest moderators on our forum, and he actually started writing the 299 Days series in the TSP forums. And it's a partial breakdown. And I've always thought it's realistic and it's not realistic. But it's fiction, so it's never going to be completely realistic. You have to take some artistic license, especially in the world of like prepper fiction. But boy, the concept of localized tyranny, localized revolt... That looks like exactly what we're looking at right now. And what COVID is telling about telling us about this is fuel for that fire. Look what's going on now. New Jersey just said, if you come to New Jersey from Maryland, you're under a mandatory 14-day quarantine. How do you think they're enforcing that? They know people that are coming and where they're coming from. States are starting to act like capital S states already. You have governors issuing edicts in the absence of their legislature. If, if the President of the United States was doing what some of these governors are doing right now, the people on CNN that are cooing and cawing and, and slobbering on people like Andrew Como, if Trump was exe issuing executive orders to our nation the way Como or uh, Whitmer Right, Mima Whitmer are in their states, or even Abbott in my state of Texas. If the president was doing that, CNN and MSNBC, etc., would lose their minds. He's a dictator. Oh, but when governors do it, it's okay. And this is the thing about dictators. When they're doing things that people like, they don't call them dictators. They don't call them dictators until they're doing things they object to. Or they just object to the person as a whole, and therefore everything they do is wrong. That's really the, the media and Trump, and half the country and Trump. If the man came out and said it would be a good idea for you to breathe oxygen, there are people who would wrap a plastic bag around their face. But when Abbott does it, he gets criticized for not doing enough. When Como says, well, we're going to open restaurants and bars if they serve food, but you have to be ordering real food, to order a beer, and chicken wings don't qualify as real food. That's real shit, and no one seems to have a problem with this in the media. 
These are arbitrary regulations being written by executives who have no authority to be writing regulation. And why it's dangerous? You want to know if states can secede? They're doing it! This is what it looks like when it starts. When a state starts saying, a state inside a republic says, we have different rules for different people that come across our state boundary depending on what state they come from. In a republic, you're already looking at the state has declared a specific level of sovereignty that is not constitutional within the republic that it exists in. New Jersey does not have the authority to do that, and they certainly don't have the authority to do it by the decree of a governor. But they're doing it, and nobody's doing shit about it. Oh, there's a lawsuit. Who gives a shit? You know what it'll mean? Absolutely the square root of F all nothing. That's what it'll mean. And I'm not saying we need to stop it. I'm saying you need to pay attention to the fact that it's happening. How much further do they need to go before they just decide, hey, we're going to do our own damn thing? If you're a state that has more money going into the federal coffers than come out, and this shit really starts to melt down, how long does it take you to say, you know what, we're just not doing that anymore? We're just not doing that anymore. You've just seceded from the union. Maybe you haven't done it in a formal definition of uh, declaration of secession, like the Civil War. What does secession really mean? Is it only a formal action, or is it when a a state within a republic determines that it's going to start doing things that it does not have the authority to do under the agreement that formed the republic in the first place? and enforce those within the boundaries of its state, independent of the federal charter known as the Constitution. Which one of those? Is that secession? Does secession have to be binary, one and zero? Zero off, one on? Or is it a dimmer switch? Most revolutions, most breakups of nations, republics, etc., they do not come in a flip of a switch. They do not happen. It's not there. Click, it's there. They come like a dimmer switch being slowly turned up. And then sometimes back down a little bit and then back up and then up a lot and then back down some. It's exactly what's happening. We right now are watching the country break up because you have states making decrees that they do not have the constitutional authority under the federal or their own constitution to do and they're largely unchallenged. Abbott's been good on some of this. That's my governor, if you don't know. He's been really bad on others. But the state legislature in, in Texas only meets once every two years. They're not supposed to meet again until the winter. That's usually good. If they're not meeting, they're not passing laws, they're not doing shit. But now since they're not in session, they're not doing anything to stop this asshole from destroying probably one of the greatest economies that's ever existed in the country. The Texas economy is one of the most resilient, most amazing economies ever existed. And he's, he's screwing it to shit for no good reason. But Texas is my next New York. No, it's not. Look at the numbers, you idiots. The Texas curve on COVID looks the same as every other curve, no matter what anybody did, from people that didn't lock down at all like Sweden to, to people in New York. It's the same time frame, same duration, and a whole lot less people dying, because at least we weren't stupid enough to send infected people into old folks' homes. 
But it doesn't make what we're doing right. It doesn't mean that, that that prick has the right to be telling a Texas business, you're one kind of business and you can't open. You're another kind of business you can. Here's your bullshit restrictions, and you can do whatever you want as long as people wear masks. With no science, nothing to back it up, totally arbitrary just because they want to. Every freaking governor in this country has already declared some level of secession by taking actions they do not have the authority to take within the confines of their state and then dictating what others can do that come from other states. It's already happening in front of you. The dimmer switch is just still kind of low. So don't think that it can't happen. COVID's showing us this. And that's why I'm saying some of these cities... And you have to determine whether your city qualifies for what I'm saying. But I'm going to say it again. Get out, get out, get out. Get out. Best case scenario, what you own is going to be worth half of what it is today in a year or two. And you won't be able to sell it. And then other than that, your life will be pretty much the way that it is. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. I'm sorry. As bad as it gets... You're going to get drug out of your car and beaten to death, and it won't, your gun won't help you. Your gun won't help you. You don't think they have guns? You don't think these pricks have guns? I know how to use mine better. Really? In your car? Let me tell you something. When you're in a car and you're dealing with a mob, you're at a disadvantage. Unless you've got a lot of open road to work with and you're willing to put the hammer down and squishy the shit out of some people, you're at a disadvantage. And if there's one person in that whole mob that's willing to shoot you that knows how to use an AR, you can kill the shit out of somebody driving a car. One Molotov cocktail on the hood of your car, you can end up burned and encased in flames. You don't think they'll do it? They just beat this guy. And I've heard two different things. I heard one, the guy's home and conscious. And the other one I heard, my wife said she read this morning that he died. I wouldn't be surprised if he was dead. The man was sitting there barely conscious on the ground and they were screaming at him, get up, you ain't hurt and a guy backs up and goes running full tilt and kicks his head like he's kicking a field goal with a football his crime was he was there and he wasn't one of them and he was white they beat up his girlfriend too because they were there and they could and they were weak I'm not weak, okay See, this is where the bravado gets you killed. I do not carry a gun because I'm strong. I carry a gun because I am weak. Because no matter how strong I am, no matter how many people I can handle myself against, no matter how many people, if they actually come at me, I don't need a gun. I'll break their neck and kill them. There's, there's a hundred that can do that to me. And there's a hundred that I can handle easily that I can't handle when there are a hundred in a group. I am weak when 20 men come after me. I'm weak when five men come after me. The gun is only so much of an equalizer. And when can you use it? Because right now it appears that it's okay for them to kill you. It's okay for them to beat you. It's okay for the burn down buildings. It's okay for them to do all these things and not get in trouble with the law at all. But if you point a gun to defend your own home, they want to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law for breaking a law that you didn't break. And this is why this can happen. How much more of this happens before Americans that are the people that just want to be left alone say, you know what, screw this. Bullshit.
How much more of this happens before people like the Oath Keepers and Boogaloo Boys and whatever just start suiting up? And wherever the shit's going on, they go there. And when you try to beat somebody's ass, they shoot you or they beat your ass. And how long does that go on before, before the two sides collide? And the law enforcement organizations, who are the ones that are being attacked by these people in the cities, the people that command them have already made the decision which side they're on. They're on the side of their own demise. So again, how long does it take before people say, screw this, F this, no more? How many of you are there already? And you want to go charging into this fight. Let me quote Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. I think it was the second one. Because the third one was terrible. Best way to block a punch is no be there. This is a, a fight that no one wins. And a lot of you, the only reason you haven't snapped your gasket on this yet is because you already did what I said so many years ago, got out, got out, got out. And you're largely insulated from it. And that's my plan. I'm almost 50 years old. I'll fight you. I'll shoot you if I have to. But I was explaining to my grandson today, the rattlesnake, and don't tread on me. So what happens if you get too close to a rattlesnake? He said, you get bit. I said, no, you don't. What does it do? He said, it bites you. I said, no, it doesn't. Think. What does it do? He goes, it rattles. So what does that rattle mean? He said, it means leave me alone. And I said, and if you push, then what happens? You get bit. If we're actually going to be the rattlesnake, if we're actually going to be the cobra, then that's, the, that's what you do. You get out of the way. But if you bring it to me, I'm going to bring it back. But I don't want to. And I think what you might see is mass chaos and then a clampdown. And let me tell you, I think the scary part is that's what they want. That gives them the excuse. This whole defund the police, yeah, that's how you install a Gestapo. And it won't be the left's Gestapo or the right's Gestapo. It'll be the oligarchs to travel. This, this whole thing. See, this is where you go back to the dichotomy. Sure, there's differences in the two sides. But the, the puppet masters aren't on either side, for God's sakes. They're not on your side or against your side. They're using your side. They're using the right and they're using the left. They're not stupid like their media mouthpieces. They don't believe this bullshit. They just want total effing control. And once you drive the nation into complete chaos and hysteria, then people beg you to do what? Establish order. And then you see what happens. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Will the people accept the new order? Will they rebel against the new order? Will the whole system start to fall apart? You know, there's not a lot of countries as big and powerful or even in the same league as the size and power of the United States. No one is as powerful from a military standpoint and from a resource standpoint. No nation is as powerful as the United States. I believe that any empire, when it grows large enough, will break apart under its own weight. And I really feel like we're right at the edge of that. Now, there's been empires that have done this, but that took a hundred years to happen. We could all be dead before it totally actually falls apart. 
or it could happen seemingly overnight. See, if, if we're looking at this next year and you're going, holy shit, Jack was right, and by the summer of next year, you're actually seeing the fragmentation take to the point of regions declaring sovereignty or partial sovereignty from the country. People say, oh my God, that happened so fast. No, it didn't. It took 250 years. It took 250 years. And really, in earnest, the last 150 years have been just, come on. But it'll look really fast. Or it could take another 20 years or 40 years. But I don't think so. I think there's a point where when a ship's taking on water, you start to hear sounds. Crack. And you can believe this ship is too big and too strong and too mighty to break apart. But it's, it's, it is its very size that once damaged sufficiently in one spot, and when enough displacement happens and enough torsion against itself, that it will crack in two and fall to the bottom of the sea. And that's where I feel like we're headed. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying that's the trajectory. We have, you know, I believe, I'm a big believer in what you call a many worlds theory in physics. And I believe that it plays out possibly the way the physicist says, but the many worlds theory, even if there's nothing to what the physicist said, it does exist from the now forward. The many worlds theory says all the things that could happen did happen and will happen and have happened, right? And there's, there's literally fragmented dimensions upon dimensions upon dimensions of alternate universes. But right now, whatever can happen between now and tomorrow is potentially going to happen. And they, all those potential futures exist. So this that I'm giving you today is the worst case scenario of one of our potential futures. But just please understand that even a fraction of it, even if a piece of it, is really nasty and really ugly. And it's something you need to be prepared for. I, if you're new to this show, somebody shared it with you today, I am not the doom and gloom guy that talks like this all the time. I'm one of the greatest optimists you'll ever meet, especially in the world of preparedness. But when I see this shit going on, I'm sorry. When I see a man being beaten to death or near death, and again, I'm not sure which one it is, by a crowd of people, and nothing being done to protect that man, and his only crime was being there, I know what I'm looking at. And I know what happens. The fist comes down, and the boot comes down on the throat. It comes down from multiple sides in multiple ways. And people that would never have asked for the boot to come down, when pushed far enough, will beg for the boot. And it doesn't matter who's in charge doesn't matter which wing of the bird is flapping at any given time. All that matters is the boot comes down on the neck and on the face. And that is what we are headed for. We're headed for a place where everybody involved could be our enemy. Keep that in mind for the song of the day. But I just want to finish with, uh, now's the time to amp up preps. All of them. And no matter what happens, you're going to need them. I can tell you this. I gave you a worst case scenario today. 
some of the worst-case scenarios. There's actually more potential ways this goes down. But best-case scenario, we're in for some hard times in the next 10 years. And they will be harder because of the self-inflicted wound of COVID, as I've been teaching all year now. Like what we've done, we've created a situation where we're probably going into a depression. Not a recession, a depression. That may take a full decade to recover from. Best case scenario. So it's time to amp up your preps. You need to be able to get by with less. You need to work on building relationships and groups and local support systems. Now. I know I've been saying it for a long time, and I know a lot of think you, people think you've been doing it for a long time, but like Nicole and I talked about yesterday, a lot of people say they're preppers. You're not prepared. You're not prepared to not be able to go to the grocery store for three weeks, let alone prepared for a civil breakdown of society. And then what you're going to see really fast if this happens, guys, I talked about this years ago. Everybody, without rule of law is the big concern. No. Excessive rule of law. Very old video I did on this. It was a response to a guy named Main Prepper on YouTube. Without rule of law is what, is what the short-term problem becomes. Then the boot comes. E-R-O-L. Excessive rule of law. And when that happens, that excessive rule prioritizes the people that it wants to take care of above the people that it doesn't care about. The people that doesn't care about are probably you. Amp your preps up now. If you live in these big cities, get out now. If you have your kids in the state's school system, get them out now. I could not be more clear if I tried. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, let me remind you, if you, you like this show and the work I do, one of the ways you can support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I do not have an item of the day for you this time today, but just remember you can always check out tspaz.com for the hundreds of reviews that I've done. Everything there, I use it, I bought it, I spent my money on it, I'd buy it again or it wouldn't be there. You know, Integrity kind of is my brand on that. I don't recommend anything that I have not spent my own money on. Uh, also, let's go ahead and... Uh, And just uh, wrap things up with the song of the day today. Um, I was trying to think, what is the right song for this type of show? And I remembered a, a guy, I think I've played him a couple times before. I don't think I've ever played this song, though. But Chris Knight, very unique sound. Like, once you know who Chris Knight is, you hear his voice, you know it's Chris Knight. And uh, this song is called You Can't Trust No One. And boy, it, it lines up so much with the type of thing that we're talking about today. And when you listen to this song and you... You, you get the point of it. You get the idea of like a guy that just lives up in the hills and doesn't trust anybody and kind of a hermit. Um, and it was always that way. It's not a song about that at all. It's about a man that was salt of the earth, that still loves his family, that tried so hard to find solutions within the system and reached a breaking point and left. Because it was all there was to do. And when the whole shitstorm came, the cities burned, but so did the fields. And left even the hills bare. This is a song of apocalypse. And it brings out that, that ancient dichotomy that we've talked about before. The hill people versus the flatlanders. It's actually an eerie song when you sit and you look at what's going on in our cities right now. And you realize that no one is truly insulated from this. So like I said, 
amp up your preps, all of them, no matter what happens, you're going to need them. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Trying